Hey, everybody. Welcome to the PC Perspective podcast. This is episode number... Oh, I'm already scrambling to see what the episode number is. Uh, 429, being recorded December 14th, 2016. I'm Alan Malventano. I'm Jeremy Alstrom. I'm Josh Walbreth. I'm Sebastian Peak. Oh, we got, we got four people, but none no, of them are Ryan. Five. Wait, five? Where's that, the th- that joke's getting old. Oh. So keep moving along. There are four lights. There are four stars. Okay. Get it? <laughs> uh, Ryan is attending some family matters, which he will discuss, I'm sure, with you guys next week, probably. Uh, and all I will say for the moment is our thoughts are with him. So put it that way. Uh, moving right along. Hey, you can subscribe to our podcast. You know that? You can subscribe to mailing list for our podcast. And we send you a little note. Or, in this case, like, Ken sends you a little note instead of Ryan. Was that um, Ken's handiwork? Uh, that, that was Ken. Ken sent that email out this time. Um, basically, give us our name, your name, your email. You go to pcpro.com slash subscribe. Put that information in. Uh, and we will send you email blasts before we do live streams or podcasts or anything else that's, like, you know, video content for you to check out. Um, and that's about all to say about that. And if you were subscribed to that, you would have seen the AMD stream that we did the other day, which we'll be discussing shortly. Uh, Also, we have a Patreon. You can help us by supporting us through Patreon. It kind of helps us, uh, you know, keep the lights on around here and stuff and pay people. It keeps me employed and off the streets. Yeah, stuff like that. Positive for everyone. It keeps Josh wearing. Uh, bathrobe in a bathtub in a Vegas hotel. But not because Josh is a modest man. Uh, yes. You know, I've been in worse places in my life. That's true. In a bathrobe. Yes. Or we're not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Josh, can we peek behind the bathrobe for a second, so to speak? <laughs> Pay you, no attention. Please, you may. please tell me you were fully clothed under the bathrobe. Sadly, I was. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And obviously, you know, during that time, my flexibility was very bad because it was hard to get out of that bathtub. And I, I obviously, I you had not limbered to do some work up yet. On that. Can't say the same about where he sleeps, which happens to be the same bed as me usually at CES. Usually, so. I was going to say, was gonna say that same bathtub. Mister Camusutra was Alan. okay. That was um, just well past innuendo, and never mind. Yep. Um, Okay. And now it's time for news. Well, nope. Before we get into oh, news, uh, there is... Uh, are we still doing the giveaway? No, but... I think it's over, isn't it? I thought it's over. Um, we gave things away. Well, I don't know if we've actually done the giving away yet. Uh, we had a live stream. There was a giveaway. Uh, there was a note in the podcast notes to talk about this again. I'm just not sure if the giveaway is still going. So, uh, how about this? Uh, it is not... Yeah, it is, it is not. Yeah, that was within a few hours of after the live stream. See, if you guys were subscribed on that email thing, you could have at least popped in, if not just to check for the giveaway thing. And then, you know, you could have done the stuff and possibly gotten some AMD stuff. But hey, even if you can't win the card anymore, you can still watch the stream. That is true. Uh, there was there a lot of interesting things on there on the stream. Is this the only note or, or link where we're talking about that stream that happened in our mm-hmm. show notes? 
Okay. Uh, yeah, so we did have a live stream. It went like mm, a little over an hour, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, software is a little dry, but they added some neat things to, uh, to the uh, crew. I mean, they, they got rid of Raptor, right? Yeah, Raptor's gone. And they started to introduce some of their own features and, and functionality, especially, you know, aimed at streaming, which is the relive portion. portion. Uh, they've slightly improved performance. I mean, but they're, they don't have any of these, which is kind of nice. They don't have any of these extreme, well, uh, you can see upwards uh, 20% in, in certain applications. Uh, it's, it's like in between 5 and 7% for, for most things. And you can see the GCN is well-optimized for a large variety of games, and it just kind of works pretty well, except, you know, when a new game comes, then they drop off a new driver. Yep. Uh, anything else you guys kind of really stuck out with you on the stream? Uh, well, so you got, uh, I mean, along with the Raptor stuff being gone and the real, well, the, the real life stuff was, I mean, their impl- implementation was impressive, right? Like, uh, and their, their percentages they were quoting were even lower than like seven. It was like four to five or something like that. They were saying for the, the percent performance hit that you get for using it. And they actually showed that like live on our stream, like they were had a game running and they were toggling, uh, you know, stuff on and off, and you can see what the frame rate was going to, right? There's obvious, um, you know, change in what that was. And then uh, what was the other thing called? What was the? Was it free? Chill. Um, yeah, because I'm gonna relive and chill. Yeah, so chill is sort of like frame rate limiting, but. It's dynamic, and it adjusts with input. So there's a whitelist of games, and I think they had like 30 games on there now, or 20, or something like that. It was you know a small handful of games so far. Um, basically, they dial in, okay, this game has these input methods, and then their driver pays attention to if you have that input present or not. And then within the driver settings, there is a slider for what frame per second would you like this game or this uh, feature to be sitting at when there's no input versus when there is input. So uh, it basically just pays attention to when you're actually doing stuff um, input wise, as opposed to if, you know, if it's a kind of a game where you're just kind of like walking around in an environment, like a third person, something adventure, whatever kind of thing, you know, where you're strolling around and you spend a lot of time just idling um, potentially, you know, you can get a, uh, reasonable amount of power savings by reducing the frame rate um and i think the numbers they were throwing around was like 30 percent ish something like that um varied from game to game obviously uh and i think they were talking to they were mostly talking about just the gpu stuff but there's also a reduction in cpu power draw if you were to look at like the whole system um draw and that i i don't see a lot of like performance gamers using that feature but it's really for um what is the generic term for a uh, place where you go to play video games and a bunch of PCs set up and arcade? No, not an arcade PCs set up, not arcade games set up, but like, uh, like a those, ca- like center? Those, no, like those gaming cafe things or whatever you want to call it. You a know? land center. Is it a land center? Okay. So those are places that have a lot of PCs set up. Yeah. McDonald's. They're places that have a lot of PCs set up in a relatively small space, and they actually care somewhat about power consumption. So if they can save like 30, 50 watts per machine in a whole place where everybody's playing those kinds of games. Um, And also... Like the Mustang Ranch, right? Yeah. And to save that power. 
and also the other key to that was it wasn't that much of a noticeable like you know it wasn't really adding delay it was running at a lower frame rate but it wasn't necessarily adding a bunch of latency um and it wasn't running you know i think they kind of set their bottom to like 40 frames per second which is still you know if you're not doing anything and you're not waiting for any kind of response that's if you know exactly what to look for you can pick out that that's at a lower frame rate but generally speaking most people probably wouldn't notice right because you're just looking at like some text that's coming across the screen or whatever you're not like looking for high action stuff if you're just sitting idle in a game um anyway interesting features um and uh i mean that Unless there's anything to add about that one, guys? No? No, I mean, well, it just seems like uh, AMD has has done a pretty good job as of late in catching up in terms of software with NVIDIA. I think that people are generally pretty happy with the drivers. We, you know, we've had, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and you talked about ATI, and then later AMD drivers, people were pretty unhappy with them, and for good reason, but... uh, you know, it seems like they've really improved and stepped up the game even more so over the past five years. And I think they're at a point they're pretty much in, at parity with NVIDIA. And in, in fact, if you kind of look at some of the latest issues that NVIDIA has had with their drivers, uh, AMD may be a little bit more secure, a little bit more ahead in certain instances. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if like you're doing... bold. If you're doing a, a nice round turn on your driver development like they are, then they might be a little more polished right now as far as, you know, uh, how quick they can turn around on stuff. And, you know, think about it. If you're if you're just kind of like tooling along and you're just, you know, just doing the same generic like little updates here and there, like you actually forget some of the knowledge as a coder, right? Like you don't have everything in your mind perfectly. But if you just got through a major development cycle all those coders that are on the amd side probably have every little nook and cranny of that code like in their head still if you think about it right um you know oddly enough i don't think about it well you know i mean it i just works i run into the saying? same thing like for the for the code for like the storage testing stuff right like if i had to go in there and tweak something recently because some other piece of hardware i was testing broke something and i had to like modify the code and i was like oh crap how did this thing work again who is this bastard yeah. that doesn't comment his code yeah, who is this guy that didn't comment anything <laughs> um he why would somebody think that they would just naturally understand how this worked the next time they went in here to mess around with the code anyway um okay let's move on lettuce uh, yeah amd picks ryzen is that, we live. Is that Ryzen? Ryzen? Okay. Um, Ryzen to brand Zen CPU. Reveals 3.4 gigahertz clock and some more details. So, so many details. So many details. So this was the press conference that happened shortly after our live stream. Um, I mean, looks impressive. Yeah. You know? I mean, we, we've been having... Zen leaks and uh, talks at uh, hot chips. And so we, we kind of knew some of the things that were coming. Um, some of the initial uh, chips that came in, they were running at about 2.8 gigahertz. And in fact, that first major test that we saw against uh, what Broadwell E, uh, where both were clocked at 2.8 and they, they did a rendering program and they both came out to be about the same speed. 
uh, people back then were expecting, well, you know, maybe they could tweak the process and the design and metal layers and, and get it up to maybe 3.2 gigahertz with some boost, maybe up to 3.4, maybe 3.5. And so the first major announcement that they had in this is that they're looking at starting their premium products at about 3.4 gigahertz. So it's about 200 megahertz faster. Uh, when you're looking at clock speeds of Broadwell E, it goes from, what, 3.2 gigahertz to with a boost to 3.7. Um, AMD is kind of matching that with an 8-core, 16-thread, you know, high-end processor. Um, you know, we've had leaks. They didn't talk about any specifics other than it's going to be released in Q1 2017. Um, they're very happy with it. They the, 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 We saw two tests, uh, Render and what was the other one? Um, uh, they were playing was a game. A video trans modification. Oh, yeah. okay. Blender. Uh, the render was in Blender. The render was in Blender. Yeah. And then Handbrake. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't see the Handbrake part. I saw, I did see the Blender part. Yeah. And uh, so it it you know it, it performed very well as compared to the Broadwell E being unlocked uh, and and featuring boost in in certain of these circumstances. Um, it's a big step up, obviously. Uh, they're running on a 14 nanometer process. They didn't go over a lot of these basics you know, that, that you know, I'm talking about, but uh, they're going to be using global foundries for their 14 nanometer. And it seems that being able to run at 3.4 gigahertz and above with overclocking that hits 4.2 gigahertz apparently quite easily, um, these are going to be very, very positive things. They've really focused on IPC. Uh, previously, they talked about a 40% increase in IPC from previous. And during this, Lisa Sue said they, they exceeded that. So when we're talking about per-thread performance, as well as going to 8 cores and 16 threads, uh, it looks like it's going to be a pretty solid processor. Now, what we haven't nailed down, of course, is price. And availability. We don't know what kind of numbers it's going to be out in. We don't know how much is it going to cost. Um, the product that they were comparing it to, the i7-6900K, is that correct? I think so. Okay. Uh, it's an $1,100 part. Um, there have been some leaks and rumors that their top end is going to be around 500 bucks for AMD, and they're going to go down from there. Uh, they're looking... Uh, you know, they didn't, again, they didn't talk about any other specific SKUs. A lot of these were just rumors uh, of a four core, eight thread chip, a six core, 12 core chip, and then the full eight core, 16 thread chips. And so there's, it looks like there's going to be, you know, four to six different products depending on core counts and uh, speeds. Uh, but a lot of people are kind of excited about the idea of a four core, eight thread for about 150 bucks, that would match um, around the, a 6700K in performance. So uh, they, they went into more detail about some of the internal things uh, with uh, clocking power, um, how they're implementing this with thermal sensors all around, voltage sensors all around, is to be able to really look at the workload and adjust the performance of part, not just like, Hey, if we've got two threads going, we can clock this up to 3.8. But if we've got four, we've got to take that down to 3.6. Um, it really is going to take a good look at the the chip itself. And each chip, when it comes out of fabrication, is is going to be 
really individual in how it performs. There's going to be some positives and negatives to any kind of chip just because of variance in the, the manufacturing process. So you could get a really super core, you know, something that was cut out of the middle of the wafer where the optics were the best when they went to the litho stage. Uh, you can get something in the edge. It's not as great. And you're going to see some differences in base clock and boost clocks there, but they're, saying that the very minimum is, of course, going to be 3.4. So that's a, that's a good thing for, for AMD. They had the, what, the SenseMe? Um, let me double check. Yep. Yeah, the SenseMe technology, which uh, is the power, boost, frequency range. Um, they talked a little bit about the neural net prediction and smart prefetch, which is kind of funny. Uh, Ryan and I had talked about this, and and he had showed me these slides and said, what is your first impression of this? And I thought, well, they're essentially talking about enhanced branch prediction and larger TLBs. And so they may have new stuff in there that is more kind of neural net in figuring out um, the workloads and the the branches that are going to be chosen and and all I don't of that think it's uh, rewiring predictive stuff. What's that? I don't think it's rewiring itself on the fly. No, oh. no, it is not. And then the other one is the smart prefetch, which is kind of funny because uh, memory controllers have been doing smart prefetch for a long time. I remember Enforce 2, that was one of the big things, is that it could actually uh, prefetch a bunch of stuff and, and send it to cache uh, before the processor needed it. Uh, maybe that's more granular. Maybe it, there is more logic behind it where it can anticipate better what it needs. So that stuff, instead of, you know, getting 30 to 40 milliseconds, I mean, pretty much access to main memory. Is that about, or is it nanoseconds? I think it's milliseconds. It's nano, isn't it? It's, it's nano, but then in CPU nano, time, okay. that's a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, it's it's better to obviously still get that stuff into cache rather than main memory. So we'll see if uh, they see if they do. And the performance again that they showed uh, looks good. It's going to be going on the AM4 platform, which is going to be a modern platform. I don't think they developed their chip. It sounds like as media as media did, but again, this is something that they didn't go into in their in their broadcast. Um, but it's 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 AMD needed an upgrade, and they needed a product that was competitive. I don't think this is a K7 or an Athlon 64 where they kind of leapfrogged the competition. What they're doing here is getting competitive, and they will probably be able to compete on price a whole lot better, well, price performance a whole lot better than the previous bulldozer pile driver chips and their APU. So, of course, initially, this is going to be uh, a CPU only. It won't be an APU. So, again, we're going to have four cores, up to eight cores, and up to 16 threads total. So, it's it's an exciting time to look at AMD. And their share price has uh, certainly um, reflected a lot more optimism for the company. And they seem to be uh, looking to do pretty good. And also at this, they showed off some of the first kind of performance, not figures, but Vega runs, they they showed it at 4K, and it was running above 60, 60 hertz. So 
And, uh, you know, they're showing, I think, what, uh, Battlefront. Yeah. And uh, a couple other little, uh, you know, side uh, products. And so, yeah, it, it looks like, uh, what, Battlefield 1 as well? Anyway. So that's going to be uh, showing up next year, early next year as well. So it's uh, and it's an exciting time uh, for those who want to spend all their money on the holidays. This is certainly giving them a little stop. Think it over and see what AMD has to offer. Smart prefetch thing is interesting because typically prefetch for caching is just like more like a read ahead, yeah. you know, or it's just looking on. It's just basically going down the address counter or the program counter and just going, okay, what's the next stuff I'm going to need soon? Just go get that for me, you know, just for what code is coming in next. But yeah, if it's able to go get like actual data from places. Well, it's 16 um, megs of L3, which is a yeah, lot. Yeah. So you want to be able to put stuff in it more often, obviously, if it's, uh, yeah. you know, that much cash. Um, and then the neural net stuff. Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, I guess Skynet will just be hardware. Yeah. You know, CPUs will just take over the world all by themselves without any software. Just as uh, long as they give me a minimum wage for sitting there, I'll be happy. No, okay. Yeah, they will. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, what's this next one? Uh, Radeon Instinct Machine Learning. Huh. Oh, wait. Is this like their uh, enterprise stuff they were talking about before? Yep, the HPC stuff. Okay. It's their deep learning. Okay, so deep learning, and then I guess these were also the ones with like the SSDs on them that we didn't know a lot about, or no? I don't know if they've really talked no. about that. No, did they not? <clears throat> it's not the same thing? Okay. I always pay attention to that because that's, you know... Yeah. That was You're a thing. biased. That, it was a thing that we're talking about. So yes, biased. I'm, bi- I'm biased towards storage, yes. So I'm generically biased. Uh, so they are talking about machine learning stuff. So this is kind of like their counterpoint to what NVIDIA did a few months back, right? Correct. Okay. Or at least a few years back when they first started talking about deep learning and, and how that relates to, uh, self-driving automobiles, uh, facial recognition, stuff like that. Yep. So you got the deep learning on GPU side and then the neural net stuff on the CPU side. So yeah, totally like that's it. It's all over. They're just going to take over. Only the AMD Everyone powered. Welcome our new overlords. Yes, only the AMD powered PCs will take over the world. <laughs> it's kind of interesting here, as they they showed off three products that they announced. One's Vega based, their top end. Uh, what I think the MI8 is the old Nano. Yeah, it so looks like it's it. a Fiji product, yep. and then the MI6. Is uh, James Bond. Uh, RX four eighty based? Oh, not James or Bond. Polaris. Okay. Oh, James Bond is Polaris. Oh, right. yeah. Got it. So it's kind of interesting that they're they're what? still going to be doing nano. That's yeah, kind of cool. Hey, it's, if you can use course, a, you, you've got all this bandwidth, but you're you're limited to four gigs of memory. Yeah. So deal with it. Well, I mean, you know, if it. it if they're getting more legs out of their hardware, so be it. Like, if they can do it yeah. and make it work, I mean, why not, right? Yeah. Um, Only 175 watts. Go for it. Hmm. All passively cooled, although uh, you're wow. using the chassis and the rack to cool it. So it's, yeah. Yeah, you're going to have it's good still, airflow in a, in a server machine anyway. Yeah. You got those 40 and 15 millimeter problem. fans blowing yeah. at 6,000 RPM. Yeah. 10,000. 
basically. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, let's see what's up next. Uh, Zalman. KM. Sorry. ZM K900M. Uh, huh. Tell me about this thing, hmm. Jeremy. Since you wrote this guy up. I right? nothing. You got, you got, you, uh, you wrote apparently this. Apparently somebody really liked the, the keyboard. <laughs> oh. So they put it in our notes. Uh, it's your usual RGB. Uh, they use the kale blue switches in it, uh, which have, of course, come in an RGB mode. But it has uh, some really hardcore uh, macro stuff on it. If you if you can zoom in on the keys, there's a bunch of them that have like ZM1 through ZM9. Like these ones, and, the... The yeah. n- ones that look like as if it was a number pad on a non-number pad keyboard, but yeah, yeah. But apparently, apparently, yeah. What you do is you hit the function key and one of those, and it now starts capturing the clicks as you would. Except it's also got uh, three buttons on it that'll emulate right click, middle click, and right uh, left click of a mouse. Okay. And so you do do do, do go along, hit the function, and uh, I, I guess it's the Zalman button. It'll stop recording it, and anytime you then tap that when the macros are enabled, away it goes. But it's also got a speed meter button at the top, so you can choose how fast your macro is going to play. Uh, some of the time you need the, the hop, the spin, the fire, blah, 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 blah. I think Sebastian uh, has that keyboard sitting in his, oh, in his hot little hands right there. Yeah. Has he even opened it yet? Maybe. I think he's muted. Is his audio dead again? His audio died again? Oh, I was muted. Oh, okay. Uh, it was on the shelf you. behind me. So when they started talking about it, I said, wait a minute, I think I have that. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I it's... should probably open it and review it. You should. Yeah. But I did not it's add it to the list, it. but interesting coincidence. No, no, you're too busy with cases. And other things. And other things. Uh, I mean, looks like a good idea. That's cool. Um, yeah. It's certainly easier than one of the other macro programs where you're going onto the software and you're doing it that way and then checking it and recording it. Yeah. And I have yet to see one where it'll speed up and slow down the playback of the macro. Yeah, I like I like the idea of um RGB and like smarter kind of keyboards, just putting all that functionality in the keyboard itself so you can just do all the stuff like on the keyboard side and not have to install a piece of software necessarily. Um all right. Uh, where are we at in the uh, in the rundown? All right. I don't uh, know. Where are we? Space Red. John's bro. John's bow. Uh, small form factor VR two micro ATX case in black, silver, and red. It's a very nice looking case. Yeah. This, so this is like, is it the sequel? Was there a VR one? Because it looks familiar. Um, it has that kind of Leanne Lee look to it. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Clean aluminum, like brushed aluminum. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, they, they make apparently uh, Rosewell cases for Newegg. I don't know if they are the OD. I guess they are the ODM. Yeah, I think so. But this thing, I was looking at it, it's vertical orientation, as you can see if you're watching the stream. So that means it's like everything is kind of turned on its side and you, you have the the back IO pointed up, kind of like with the Silverstone Raven cases. Yep. 
And that allows you to fit a little bit more in a very small footprint. And this case also uses a full-size ATX power supply that's not really limited in length. That, According to the specs on their site, it says it'll hold up to a 250-millimeter PSU, which is any... Like, my, my PSUs here that I use for case reviews are 140 and 160 millimeters. So, a 250 is a huge power supply. And full-length graphics cards, although, I will say, a stock, what looks like the stock Titan cooler from, like, a GTX 980 in their picture, kind of is the limit of length. So, you want about a 10.5-inch or shorter card. But that's most graphics cards. It does look like there might be about a half an inch left. Underneath that card there. Yeah, there's a little bit of space. Yeah. Half an inch. Half an inch. It's so, about it's about like the width of another eight pin connector worth looks like might be able to make it under there. So I mean it's it's enough room. Yeah, I'm, so I don't know how many cards are still drawing air in from the end back there, but you'd want a little bit of space. Yeah. Now is this this also appears to be tempered glass on the side, which is definitely checking the most popular box of 2016 for all computer cases i think the silver one kind of looks sharp because then you have the nice contrast of the dark tinted side panel but the the red black and silver all look really cool this has the look like i said of like a leanne lee case one of their sort of cube series cases maybe something a little bit bigger but availability is what i'd be interested in who had this review uh, I don't see. Let me oh, see I see. Here. It's being released. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Do we know? No. No. We'll have to wait for a U.S. company to pick up the design and sell Tech it under their own brand. Add it, but I don't see. Somebody has to pick up the design. Find out. Yeah, we'll have to find out. So it might show up as a Rosewell, or very possibly, yeah, possibly. they could adapt yeah. it. It could. All right. Uh, next up, get Hitman for free with Radeon RX four seventy. Yeah, the hot new series not even available on Netflix. Uh, that's true. Um, or uh, eligible systems. Which eligible systems are they talking about? That would not be an RX four like a like a pre built system. Yeah, Every time they do one system. of these giveaways, it's like if you buy a pre built you know, PC from like CyberPower PC or is it as long as it has HP or something? It just has to have a 470 in it and an FX 8370 50 or 6350. Oh, okay. So you know, it's got to be an AMD based system. Shockingly, but apart from that, boom, away you go. Yeah, you and have the first season of Hitman because apparently that's how we release games now. Seasons, uh, but for free, hey, hey, free game. If you already you plan know, on buying uh, it. Diablo 3 has done very well with Seasons. <laughs> I don't know of any other games that use them. <sighs> All right. Uh, next up. The GeForce GTX and HTC Vive bundle deal at GeForce.com. So, the deal is, if you're getting and i'm trying to make sure i get the cards right yes 1060 any, or up. yeah basically 1060 1070 1080 uh and an htc5 yeah if you get both of those 
then you get what looks from like Microsoft or Newegg. Uh from Microsoft. Uh, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you're limited it, in where it's you're... an actual bundle you're buying. Okay. And, and you if get... you don't buy that bundle, you don't get the uh, games. But then you get the games on Steam. Yes. Okay. And it's three games, right? Raw Data, Sports Bar VR, Serious MVR. Yeah. Cool. I mean, if you already have a Vive and or any of those GTX cards, then uh, I guess you're out of luck on that. But Well, it looks like if you'd actually bought them both from Newegg, you might be able to do it. But like looking at the website, it was a single code to enter as opposed to I've got a code from this purchase and this purchase. Right. So uh, if you bought them, I'd get in touch with a seller to say, hey, I just bought these two things. Can I have a code? The worst they'll say is no, and you're about as good off as you are. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, it is good, you know, with uh, being Christmas and all. Chances are there might be a lot of people getting possibly both of these things at the same time. So, hey, three free games. And uh, some of those games are a little bit pricey. Actually, in Sirius MBR, like, I mean, it's not a cheap game just came out oh no i think they're all uh 60 but well no the sports bar one is cheap uh raw data is up there it's not super pricey but serious mbr is like a big title that just launched not too long ago so won't be on sale yet all right cool uh next up uh geforce 376.33 yet another geforce driver (laughs) Yep. Are they doing these? Like it's like every podcast. There's one or two of these. Yep. Uh, the all these games are now. coming out. It's the holiday season. Uh, yeah, it's a oh, mixture. This one ain't game ready. It was yeah. It was a mixture of games and bugs lately. It was um, kind of mostly bugs and security features. Yes. So yeah. this one was a bug fix one, and they fixed. Oh, the the folding at home bug. Nope. They no, didn't. They still didn't fix that one yet. They still haven't fixed it, but they figured out the bugs from folding at home, and for whatever reason, it was running up until they did an update. Okay. Well, I guess they're working on that. Next week, there'll be another driver. There was even a thing with AMD recently where it was a similar kind of issue, right? Like, wasn't a GPGPU stuff broke for some of their GPUs in one of the drivers? They're actually talking about that on the stream. Uh, No, it was... It was compute-related for, like, it might have been for folding. It was folding-type stuff, basically, that it broke for older older cards. Mm. But it turned out it was just a regression in the driver. It was nothing intentional. They weren't, like, removing that feature from those cards or anything like that. Um, so, basically, if you have bugs, like, stay tuned for driver updates from everybody. <laughs> uh, next up. Oh, Sebastian. Sebastian has a has a post. Hey, should I um, unmute my microphone? You for should. This? You should unmute the microphone. Uh, and you should reach behind you and pull this one out as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, LG, obviously, they, they always send me their new stuff to check out before CES. But, uh, yeah, they released a, there was a press release yesterday. And you know how companies like to do this every year. You're going to CES anyway. You're going to get press releases at CES. But here's a 
press release to pre-announce the press release that will be coming at CES. There's no technical info beyond some really basic stuff. And there was more than one monitor um, in this press release, and you can follow the link in the post if you want to read all about it. But the big news is that they're going to have a 32-inch HDR monitor. Uh, HDR requires it to be 4K resolution, so it's, it's 4K. It's an LG monitor, so at first I was like, are they using IPS? And yes, they're using IPS. Yep. It's LG's thing. Uh, IPS and OLED, basically. So on the LCD side, it's IPS. And that's kind of interesting because IPS, it's difficult to implement HDR with that technology because IPS does not really do black levels. It does near black very well, but true black with an IPS panel was only accomplished by LG a few years ago with their Infinia series TVs, and it used a very advanced local dimming backlight system, which I doubt this will have. So there's two different standards of HDR uh, in TVs anyway. When you're talking about the um, certification process, so HDR premium certification for an LCD panel is that it has to be able to output a 1,000 nits of brightness, and it has... And that has to be accompanied by a minimum of uh, 0.5 nits or darker for the blacks. And 0.5 nits, not that spectacular. Very, very good. With any kind of ambient lighting, it'll look black. Uh, the, op- the opposite uh, side of it is OLED, where you have virtually zero black level allowed and then a brightness of like 540 nits because they can't get as bright. But this monitor, since it's not OLED... I imagine is going to be in that first category where it'll be a thousand nits. Does not specify this, so it, it does not also have to have the premium certification because it's not a television. So they could be doing their own thing. Yeah, a thousand nits on a desktop panel sitting right in front of you would be painful. Yeah, and that is like you get a uh, nice suntan. Yeah, you'd be like staring at the sun, basically. Um, Do not watch the movie Sunshine in HDR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if if you were watching, like if it was able to do a thousand nits, and that's full screen white background sustained that would be crazy because even most of the tvs that are rated a thousand uh cannot do cannot sustain it full screen we're talking like small highlights like some of the samsung tvs do well over 1400 nits for small highlights but then if you do like peak sustained brightness they start to drop down into the hundreds right but uh it does make a huge difference to have very bright highlights when you're looking at some hdr content like you know uh nightlife you know they show like chicago at night and it's like pitch black but you can see like the cars and the windows and the signs are super bright so some of that stuff looks really amazing on the demos but what what is what is impressive here is 95 percent of p3 color space yeah that's that's the thing like hdr i i don't know how many people fully understand it there's there's more than one standard first of all there's hdr 10 which is the most common one because it's free to implement it's like an open standard. This is like the FreeSync, G-Sync thing a little bit. Because the other standard is uh, Dolby Vision, which requires hardware and licensing, kind of like G-Sync. So if you don't have Dolby Vision baked in from the beginning, uh, then you're never going to get it. You can't get it with a firmware update later on. So almost everything that we've seen so far has been HDR10. Uh, the only TV set that I know of with Dolby Vision even in it is LG's... Uh, OLED sets. Yep. None of the LCDs I've seen have anything but HDR10. 
and only the new like Oppo Blu-ray player that's coming out next year will even have Dolby Vision. Everything so far has just been HDR10, but uh, the HDR10 uh, metadata that comes along with the video stream uh, can tell the the display to go into the wider gamut mode, which is that DCI-P3. Uh, so you're getting a greatly expanded range of colors, and you're also getting a much wider dynamic range as far as your brightness to your darkness. So when a panel implements it well, you get something where the blacks get really, really dark, the highlights get really, really bright, and everything in between is just rich, rich color because the panels are required to be a 10-bit panel, whereas standard you know, Blu-ray HD content is 8-bit, so significantly increased... Uh, color gamut and that 95% is impressive. LG has already been doing this though. Like if you looked at their um, I don't remember the branding. I think it's Ultrafine. Those panels that they are releasing in conjunction with Apple where they basically take the 21.5 inch 4K panel they already make for Apple and the 27 inch 5K panel and they put them in their own casing. But those displays they make for Apple already have the RGBG backlighting system that can output, I think it's like 97% DCI-P3. Yeah. So the thing, the thing to just kind of make this easier for people to get about this is think about how LCDs used to be, where the majority of your regular run-of-the-mill panels were 70-something or 80% of not P3 color space or anything like that, but just like the regular um, NTSC yeah, color Yeah, just like space. regular uh, sRGB. Yeah, regular sRGB, um, and then eventually you got panels that were wider color space and would get up to the high 90% or maybe even 100% of that color space. But that color space is just a smaller triangle in the center of some larger triangles, which are things like P3, Um, which basically means that your reds, greens, and blues just get deeper into those colors, even more of a pure red, green, blue, any of those colors than um, than what you were previously used to with your uh, previous 100% RGB you know, displays, basically. Uh, so you can have... You can have a panel that says it's HDR10. That just means that it can go into H- an HDR mode and it can do 10-bit color, but that does not mean that it's not the same as the, you know how much of the color space it can do. There's plenty of TVs out there that are, I think, like in the 80% or something uh, of, of a P3 color space or even the 70% of the color space. They're still HDR sets. They still have all that branding on them, but they're, you're not getting that much of the color space. So this, this panel is actually a pretty dang high number as far as how much of the P3 color space it can support. Yeah, that's why I brought up the premium certification thing, because what you're saying is correct, that you can be HDR as long as you support the dynamic range as far as brightness. Yep. Uh, black levels and the high brightness, but it also has to be a 10-bit panel. Yep. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the backlighting system is providing you with a lot of... Uh, how how deep the colors color are. Range. Yeah. yeah. That's it's- where the premium certification comes in for TVs, where it does have to meet that 90-plus percent standard in the news post i wrote i linked to um a site that has a pretty good kind of basic rundown about what the premium certification is in very easy terms and 
for them to be coming out and saying right off the bat, hey, this has 95% TCIP3, check. This has uh, HDR10, check. That means you, even without them going into details, we, we know that it's going to have a, a high dynamic range. It's going to support the HDR10 metadata, so it's going to be able to play back that content from a UHD uh, Blu-ray player. Not that there are any for a PC, zero. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, you know, the, right now the most common HDR10 UHD Blu-ray player is called an Xbox One S. Sony left it out of their PlayStation 4 Pro for some reason. And That's there's a so couple odd, players out there. Considering that they were the ones who pushed Blu-ray back in PS3 time. Yeah. But this panel I, I have no idea what they're what they're doing with that. Th- yeah. This this panel is going to yeah. be more for like people editing that content. That I mean there there are know. some games. Uh, Shadow Warrior 2, I think is the one. The Has an first, HDR mode. Yeah, it's the first one with HDR. That was back in October it came out. There will be more games in HDR. When you see HDR demos on a really good set, uh, kind of is mind-boggling. Partly you, because you never the content, knew what you were missing. Yeah, if you if you manually change the color space to um, like the Rec. Seven Hundred Nine, the standard you know broadcast TV color space on one of these TVs, it starts to look super washed out when you're used to looking at it in that high gamut. DCI-P3 color mode. Right. It even takes normal content and just saturates the hell out of it. But if you're looking at something that was actually programmed, like was mastered uh, at these higher standards where they knew they had a thousand nits for the peak brightness for little, you know, the stars shining or the sunrise coming up and they knew they had, it was going to have the dark black levels and they, so they, they adjusted their sort of shadow brightness based on that. The stuff starts to look amazing plus it has just ridiculous like vibrant blues and reds and greens mm-hmm. so samsung's uh tvs and the oleds from lg looked phenomenal with some 10-bit hdr content running on them yeah that's the other thing that's confusing that's going to be confusing to people moving forward like an average joe that gets this panel plugs it in their pc and gets it into that mode but doesn't necessarily like have their color spaces set up properly like everything's going to be super saturated oh yeah i i've like, uh, i've Installed Windows 8 on a 27-inch iMac, like one of the Retina ones, that uses a 95 or whatever percent TCI-P3 panel. And Windows doesn't really account for... Yeah, it just, that doesn't know. So it just goes into this... I was staring at it, just the default background and like looking around on the start screen and just like amazed because I was seeing like the most vibrant reds and greens I'd ever seen on a computer before. Sebastian thought he was high. I, yeah, because if you look at it running Mac OS, it just looks like whatever. It's an iMac. Who cares? And then you go into Windows, yeah. and it just uses the full color gamut. Because Apple tries to differentiate, oh, this is 709. This is standard sRGB versus... Yeah, their they're OS is aware of it, and it compensates accordingly and brings And it even does it on the phone. Like, I was underwhelmed by the iPhone 7 when I had it for review because uh, this doesn't look any different than the 6 next to it. And this is supposed to be DCI-P3. And actually... The iPhone 7 has 100% DCI-P3 yep. coverage. But if you look at the photos that are shot on it in right. higher in higher Because it only space. switches color gamuts when it detects content that's actually encoded with them. So it's like, oh, this is 10-bit content. I'll show you 10-bit. Yep. And, but Windows just says, wow, I've got a 10-bit panel. Here's the most saturated color you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's just going all the way to where it thinks red is just the maximum red, but on HDR, it's even 
further into red. So everything just gets, you know, amplified. All the colors. It's ever basically. so much more. So yep. Yeah. So and once you see it, you'll you'll want to buy one. I'm afraid of how much this is going to cost. It's probably going to be pricey. Especially if they did any kind of local dimming to get the black levels down. Super super expensive. Maybe not. All right. Enough about the color stuff and HDR stuff and all those headaches. Um, Samsung. Oh, yep. Samsung rolled out a firmware update to Galaxy Note 7s. In oh, next order- Monday. They're doing it next Monday or Verizon's oh. doing it next Monday? Well, Verizon's saying they're not going to do it because they've made the brave decision that having a bomb in your house is safer than not having a cell phone. I guess, yeah, their claim was like emergency stuff in case somebody needed to be able to use it in an emergency. I've spent the vast majority of my life in a world without cell phones. I seem to have survived somehow. Yeah, not only that, but like they're saying they're saying that people I knew that kept bombs in their house don't tend to be with us anymore. It's not like this hasn't been. (laughs) It's not like this hasn't been a thing that people have known about. Like if you've gone on any flight anywhere for the past over a month or been anywhere on the internet where anybody talked about phone stuff or Samsung or were contacted directly or by were contacted directly by either Samsung or your provider where you bought the phone from who were contacting people that got the phone because yeah. like there's a massive recall going on 7% have not been returned yeah which actually adds up to still a pretty big number tens of thousands Right. Under 30,000, something like that, I think. But, so, and I think it's a great idea because they're going to be legally liable if anything goes wrong with these damn phones. So, you mean Verizon will be? Refuse to bring it back. We're stopping the ability to charge it and we're kicking it off the uh, LTE network. Well, true. So that's that's, that's good for that's good for the Samsung side, but like Verizon are basically taking on that responsibility now. Well, they're opting out of the update. So now it's, well, you can't blame us. It wasn't our device that blew up. It was Samsung's. And now Samsung will have to take Verizon to court and, you know, 15 years down the road, we'll be talking about the settlement they finally do. Sure. And hopefully nothing bad happens. I, I just think it's idiotic to say, oh, you're going to die if you don't have a cell phone over the holidays. Well, see, the here's... Majority here- of my holidays have been without a buddy cell phone. There are, go out and ask a neighbor care if you see somebody lying on the ground bleeding don't force them to call 911 by themselves here's the problem with the verizon thing by choosing to take any kind of a stand any direction i would bet that there are a few people that are the kinds of people that have ambulance chasing lawyers on speed dial and held on to this held on to their phone just because of some kind of an opportunity where maybe they could try to provoke the phone into doing the thing. You mean like kind of the Prius drivers who yep. thought they'd get some money by going really, really fast on the freeway and saying their previous Prius accelerators got stuck? Right. Yeah. yeah, stuff like that. Except in this case, if the phone actually does do the thing, which happens just by charging it and being unlucky, basically, right? Um, you know, these people would have like, they would have their phone and they would just sit there and constantly be charging it and discharging it as quickly as they could and just like up, down, up, down, up, down, try to cause the thing mm-hmm. to, to light on fire. And if it was a Verizon one, then, you know, lawsuits ablaze or whatever you want to call it. Anyway. So what you need to do is take that phone and put it right next to one of those 
vaping cigarette things. Oh, great. Yeah. And hope that one or the other will explode on you. Wow. And and then sue four people, including yourself. Yep. You'll be rolling in millions. (sighs) It's like hot coffee from McDonald's all over again. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to take a quick pause here in case there is a sponsor, which we will have to insert in post, unfortunately, because uh, Ryan had to run out and the boss is taking care of important stuff right now. So we'll find Brought out to later. You by the Samsung Note 7. No, no, no. Don't even connect with that with the potential sponsor who we're about to hear from now. Maybe. Or if there wasn't one, then we just won't cut anything out and it'll be a really awkward pause. Anyway. Okay. Uh, next. Uh, flash news. Demand up. Supply down. Outcome obvious. This is talking about NAND flash. So Something that you totally have no idea what's going oh, on. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got no idea what's going on in NAND flash. Uh-huh. Um, yes. The industry is shifting to 3D. So there's probably going to be small, like, relative dips in supply as fabs are trying to switch parts of the fab from 2D to 3D production. And that just means they won't be able to make it as fast as they were making it before. So you see a little bit of an increase in price. However, uh, anybody that's been looking at the sales on SSDs, uh, it's not really that noticeable. It's, it's more just, it's more a matter of the prices just aren't going down as fast as people would hope versus like prices skyrocketing. It's not like they're the hard drive manufacturer flooding thing that happened a few years back or anything crazy like that, or just a drastic shortage because everybody just, you know, there was a sudden spike in demand. Um, You know, it's just that everybody's trying to ramp up production of 3D since that's the way to go moving forward. And uh, you just see a little bit of a, you know, you don't see as... So essentially you're talking about Somebody's making a mountain out of a molehill. A couple of sites have. Oh, yeah. Um, the one I linked to is just, yeah, you expect to see about 10% increase on brand new Flash, or at least a, a not a decrease. Right. And for memory cards, it'll probably be a little bit bigger. Cool. Yeah. But you some know, sites hysteria. are like, oh, God, it's hysteria. the end of the world. You're never yeah, going to be yeah. able to get one again. Uh, it's not. It's not. It's going to be that noticeable of a thing. It just the prices might just bounce back to their normal prices a little faster after the holiday season. Yeah. Basically, uh, I'm sure they will still continue to go down overall as 2017 progresses. Just might have a little bump at the beginning. Now we might be wrong, but I mean that's probably the way it's going to go. I doubt all of the flash makers on the planet are suddenly just caught off guard and not able to transition to 3D properly since like some of them are already doing it and have done it for a while now. Like Samsung and Intel and Micron and Toshiba. Basically all the NAND. (laughs) (laughs) Just just saying. (laughs) Just basically named them all off. (laughs) Oh yeah. uh, SanDisk. Slash Washington Digital, who probably are still making their transition because I haven't seen any SSDs with 3D come out of them yet. We've talked about it. Anyway. Uh, next, is this the last one? 
the last one. Last and absolutely most definitely not least, Doom removed their DRM. The Denuvo DRM. Uh, I didn't run into any DRM issues with Doom. I mean, there have been games where I have run into DRM issues, even though I had bought the game. Uh, Doom was not one of them, thank goodness. But uh, a lot of people don't like DRM stuff and the possible side effects of what happens with them. However, this is this seems pretty early. This game is not that old. And yet, this DRM has now been patched out of Doom. And Ken was telling me, although is this in the post or was this just you telling me this, Ken? About some supposed thing where if uh, Denuvo's DRM is cracked within X number of months after being rolled out in a game, then the vendor has the option to patch it out and receive a refund of like what their license was. That could be what happened here. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what details are, but... It kind of makes sense. If that is a thing, then that might be what what they decided to do. Because, you know, I mean, if you can, the game's been out for a while, the sales are already probably starting to taper off on it. And if there was a reason, any way to, uh, you know, get your money back for some spendy DRM stuff that you probably don't want in the game long term anyway, just to make sure you have platform compatibility and, like, don't have to keep supporting it just adds complexity to your patches right like you have to patch your game not only for compatibility with other os updates and other things that might break compatibility with your game like you also have to patch it for this extra piece that you have to insert in other words your your drm you know that you had to add to the game so cool i like that you don't have to worry about drm Especially me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I keep, I always bring this stupid thing up when it comes to DRM. But you know, like the guys in the Navy can now play this game out at sea without signing into Steam, or just they don't have internet. So, like you know, guys on a sub. Well, what is it? Uh, or you know, years from now, you could actually play the game without having to worry about whether or not this DRM server is still active. Well, you have to authenticate with Steam, but you can you can buy the game elsewhere, probably, down the road. With <laughs> Again, it wouldn't have this DRM in it. Like if it shows up on good old games or whatever. Yeah. Right? But with that DRM in it, no matter where it went, then you're just, you have to, like you can't play it completely offline, right? Ever. Um. So this, at a minimum, opens the door to be able to do that. That's always a good thing. Yeah. I'm one of those old-fashioned people who thinks that if I buy a software title, and of course I know that we don't really ever buy anything anymore. We license its use on our computer. But I'd like to be able to play a game without being constantly connected and having it constantly check, or only being able to save to the cloud and not being allowed to save to my hard drive. Things like that. Id Software is pretty good about like their older games as they move forward. Um, you know, making them more open and less copy protection if there was in the first place. All right. Uh, anything else before we get into the picks? 
now. The chat says they don't want people with access to nuclear weapons playing violent video games. <laughs> you gotta have the special keys, man. Codes. There's so many layers, you have no idea. So many layers. Some dude's not gonna be like, rage quit doom and go launch nukes at Russia. This, this or better yet, to, doesn't work uh, that way. <laughs> and take out ID. <laughs> or yeah. I remember that guy was that uh, slept with his mother. Yeah, that's even harder. You don't just like just point the missile somewhere else. <laughs> like it's, it's like you're just gonna type in the new, you know, where is it? I'll just type in id software. I'll just type in kill noobs eighty seven ninety. It'll yes. find them. Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah. And and go. And the missile is that smart. It just figures it out, right? Okay. Um All right, well, let's do the picks. Let's do it. Uh Jeremy. 29% off ain't too bad. And the 850 Evo is not brand new. The 960 came out yesterday, but it sure as hell ain't obsolete. So hey. two terabytes up in Canada for 850. Pretty <laughs> damn good. This is where I remind everybody of the NAND shortage article that we just talked about. <laughs> yeah. Well, this NAND's already been made. Yeah, you don't that, have to worry about Yeah, that NAND is it's already 3D. 3D. Yes, it's already 3D. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's definitely a good deal. Yeah, for Canada, it's it's a friggin' brilliant deal. So if you have to Canada. go with the M.2, the one terabyte, not so bad either. Remember, it's M.2 SATA. Yes, it is M.2 SATA. It ain't PCIe. It, right. Um, just something to keep in mind. If it's an 800 series Samsung, it is SATA, regardless of how you're plugging it in. What's the 4 terabyte going for? Is it neatly double? No, it's more than... No, it's, it's more than double. the same discount where I would have picked it. The two terabyte. That's pretty good for a two terabyte. It is. It really is. All right. Cool. Next. George. Next. Me. Uh, <clears throat> I've had this chair I'm sitting in for like five years now, maybe plus. And it's a little worn. So I, I, I stumbled across this one on Newegg. It's for sale. It's like 150 bucks off. And it looks like a pretty good deal. It's 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 uh, you know it's not DX Racer. It's not the AK Racing. I think that uh, Ryan uh, reviewed. It's a little bit more subtle. It's black with uh, some blue stitching. It's a better ventilated uh, PU leather, which of course is not real leather, but close yeah. enough for it, business. And and uh, you can tell this is hard. Go ahead. You can tell this is definitely. Actually, a real racing seat adapted to a to a chair, and especially since this one has the holes for five point harness. Well, all of them pretty much to go do. through. I mean, that's that's just a stylistic thing. So yeah, um, you know, it's it's uh, you know, if you look through the pictures, you'll you'll see that the actual mounting and uh, mechanism is different. A lot of the other inexpensive racers is just has the the post that goes up right in the middle. This has that kind of cantilevered uh, swing oh, yeah. thing. Oh, nice! Instead, yeah, it is a uh, like a higher grade. Uh, yes, and for two eighty nine, it doesn't look too shabby. Right, that is a good price for and that I chair. I never, never use armrests, so having those kind of faux plastic, rubbery things doesn't bother me. Are, are they claiming like memory foam or anything for the panel? No. Oh, but it's got no. stinky leather. 
Well, yeah, sure. EU leather, baby. Yeah, EU. yeah, yeah. Some of them have like real thin layer of memory foam in there. Uh, but I think you know it looks like it's a and it's designed in Germany, huh? So it's right. it's oh, so made emissions of are in parts. I might I might down. I might pick this chair up. That's pretty I'm cheap. Going tomorrow, get my bonus tomorrow, man. Hmm. And I'm going to the liquor store. Congrats. <laughs> and then there won't be then there won't be any money left for the chair. No money. I'm gonna left. buy the most expensive <laughs> bottle of booze they've got. Awesome. <laughs> A one one note: If this chair has the simple little handle that you pull to lay back, uh, these seats do go flat all the way back. All the way they go. They actually they generally rely on the seat running into the back seat of the car. So just be careful. It's like if yeah. you go to do that, like Ryan did when he first got his chair. He is <laughs> like, this goes back surprisingly far. And like, Oh, it's the center of mass just shifting further and further back. And I'm just waiting for the legs of the chair to go just, whoosh, up, up. just right out from under him. It didn't happen somehow. It, it, it seemed physically impossible, but, uh, yeah. So just be careful. All right. All right. Uh, next is, uh, me, I guess. Wait, where's Sebastian's? Underneath uh-huh. you. Sebastian. Okay, got it. Can't you feel it? All right, so... Uh, Sexist. This... <laughs> so this drone right here, I've been beating the crap out of for a couple days. Uh, somebody got me this for my birthday. And they have since reduced in price because this is an older model. It's the Dromeda Ominous. Dromeda Ominous? Dromeda it's a, an evil-looking camel. So it looks like this drone sold for between like fifty and a hundred, I think, initially when it first launched a couple of years ago, and it's been replaced by a newer model, which means that parts might be harder to find for it over time. You can still get parts for it because you might break some parts for it, despite this being pretty stinking durable i haven't broken a blade yet despite running into walls at full throttle and like driving it inverted into the floor at full throttle multiple times uh so definitely a good drone to like give your kid as a stocking stuffer and maybe if you if your kid wants to learn like it's, it just seems like a really great one to learn on uh 30 bucks right now on amazon but the catch is it's a Limit of three per order, I think, and it's the yellow model, but it's thirty bucks. The other model, there the other colors, even on Amazon are fifty bucks right now. So if you're okay with yellow, it's thirty bucks for drone. high visibility. It, 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 yeah, that will help, That's especially if you're learning. It invariably, right? will get stuck in the tree. And just the gyro in this thing, it is extremely stable. It is just noticeably like really dead stable you basically just let go of the stick as long as you have it you can kind of dial it in a little bit with some uh fine adjustments on the control if it is off by a little bit but you could basically as long as there's especially if you're indoors and there's no crosswinds or anything like that to throw it off you just let go of the control and just sit there and hover dead you know you have to make sure the, thro- the throttle like your height um is dialed in so it'll stay there and not sink or rise because that's you know there is no like uh there's no height feedback on this model or anything that fancy, but just great for learning. And there's different modes. You can, you can put it into rate mode, which is where it's not using the gyro. Like it's, if you tell it to 
bank right. It just keeps banking right as long as you're holding the stick until you put it back to center. And then it continues to stay banked, right? Um, you can switch those modes from the remote on the fly. Like, so it's just seems like a really great platform to learn, um, especially if it's 30 bucks. And even if the parts uh, get scarce, or, or if, you, you know, if you're worried that you're going to need replacement parts, then just buy two because you're still almost the cost of one of the newer model and you have a whole extra drone worth of spare parts. Um, and it comes with a, with an, a spare set of props in the box. So you get, Good. yeah, it comes with four blades on it and you get four more. In hey, the box. Uh, props to them for doing that. Uh, yeah, they're basically, the idea is it's meant for kind of cutting your teeth on drones. It's not super, super high performance, but it's definitely capable. Um, this one goes pretty quick. Right into Will it walls. take small children's eyes out if you aim it direct properly? I mean, it is a Turn thing. With, fair play, right? It is Sebastian? a thing with blades that's moving quickly, but it's also like really, really lightweight. I mean, it's hard to show on video, but like it's it weighs almost nothing. So even I've run it into myself a few times, even with hey, the blades if, running. And if it's, Alan can easily lift it, it's got to be lightweight. <laughs> Look at the ease with which Alan is just yes, raising yes, this thing exactly. over his head. No, but because Feather. because of because of its lightweight, I think that's what helps it survive. It's relatively, you know, it's pretty durable and flexible and lightweight at the same time, which means that when it does run into something, there's not so much mass behind the impact that's going to start snapping stuff off. Um, so. Let's see, durable, flexible, lightweight, snapping stuff off. Sounds like uh, a certain storage editor we know. <sighs> Jeez. All right. Let's get to your pick so you can shut up about the drone. <laughs> Which is already well, giving me flashbacks. <laughs> Bloody purple and green. <sighs> All right. What's this thing? My pick is for uh, a, a PC game from 1982. Sweet. That uh, I was reading about. It says 83, though. It says 83. I, you know what? Forget okay, it's it's age. I'm on the ultimate online resource, wikipedia.com, right now. And it oh. says 1982. Damn it. Okay. This is a Australian developed game uh, for The Hobbit, and I found a copy of this on eBay actually. For I did not buy it, but it was one hundred and fifty dollars. And originally, this game shipped with a copy of the book, so you could read the entire book if you wanted to. But it wouldn't help you play the game. No, uh, this is really interesting because as as text based adventure games go, and the very first one was actually called Adventure, or I think it was what was it, the Cavernous cave adventure it was that 1970s text-based game that started the whole genre off this came later the developers were fans of that game and that genre of game but this one incorporated if you had the disc based versions like higher quality still images as you played and the big deal with this game and i'm gonna download it and install it i've not done it yet is it had a special parser like the the game engine itself could parse entire sentences, so you could just write conversationally into it, and it would figure out what you were trying to get at, and then and tell you that that was the wrong thing to do, anyways. Yeah, like, it was it was one of the first that did this. Yeah, so instead yes. of saying like, so, so uh, once I typed in flask, you blow me it, where the Pampers is, and it replied, "You don't want to know." It could be like uh, uh, stab Josh viciously in the neck, and then steal all of his money. And then if I could, it would do that. Yeah. They, they called this English, but they spell it with an I. 
That was their little um, parser engine. In joke. And apparently the game is huge and it has uh, a full array of NPCs that uh, have to follow the same rules that you do and are actually interacting with the game along with you. And so I've got to I've got to check this out. But it looks like the most advanced text based game I've ever heard of. It might look. Uh, it might be worth firing up an emulator and getting the Commodore version because it might have better color. Oh, you think so? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was going to do DOSBox. We'll go to Commodore. Because I'm looking. I'm looking at the screenshots. I'm pretty sure those are from the DOS version. Uh, and I had this on Commodore and actually oh, and actually played it. And it so, was. Oh yeah. And it looked way better than this. So was it? Well, like, it looked I'm better sort of, than this on the Commodore. Yeah, I wouldn't say way better. It was well. I mean, Commodore still had its limits, right? But there were more. Yeah. There was more color on the Commodore screen than this. Trust me, this is like CGA. Do you remember um, the inputs at all? Like, was it like easy to play? It wasn't. It, it like- was. It was relative. It was the same style engine as what was in. Oh dang it! What's the name of that game? Um, you were on an island, and a ghost kept stealing your key. It was a Commodore. Adventure game where it was same kind of thing, same kind of deal. You typed in what you want to do. If you want to go north, you know, you typed go north or whatever. And it was, you can actually use items from an inventory on things. So to be able to do that, you, it was a conversational kind of thing. Um, man, I can't remember the name of that game. Dang it. Somebody in the chat might get it. Uh, but it was, it was after Zork. Yes. Chat's talking about Zork. No. Uh, I can't. Think it'll it'll come to me. It had like multiple discs, and you'd hit like you know you'd have to go one direction, and it would say loading for like thirty seconds while it loaded the next. Uh, man, it's right on the tip of my tongue too. So annoying. Missed. No. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh no. Uh Ken Griffey Jr.'s Slugfest. Uh I just remember so many mag games that followed this. Like you went up uh, to a tree and there's a troll in there and he gives you a Bronx cheer. Hold on. I mean who uh, thinks of these I things? have your <laughs> key is what the ghost would say. Yeah. Uh, Googling always enhances podcasts. Yeah, so let's just oh, well. anyway. <laughs> move along, shall we? Yeah, it's not even showing up in re- Google search results. Man. That's how obscure it is. That's uh, It was a, it was a popular it game. Is. Oh, well. King's Quest. No. <laughs> so, so much, oh, so much before King's Quest. <sighs> anyway. All right. Well, I guess we should wrap it up. Uh, anything else, guys, before we go? Uh, just stare into the camera when you do the goodbyes instead of just reading your laptop. It's a good start. He's Googling. He's Googling like the wind. No, I'm not Googling anymore. I give up on the Googling. Oh, he's Facebooking. No, I was checking the chat. He's interacting with our viewers. I was. You know, if you Google too much, you'll go blind. Uh, yeah. And you'll get hair on your phone. Yeah, you might. So then get stuck on the keys, and it's just awful. Why did the dinosaurs die out? Because you but, Google yourself it. Wait night. a minute. 
The no, name... no. See, the research is continuing. Uh, no, it just came into my head, and I'm going to go. No, it came to into your sure. head as you were furiously typing into Google this whole time. No, I'm not sure this is the name. I'm pretty sure it was Death in the Caribbean, but even that's not showing up as anything. Oh, Death in the Caribbean, classic adventure solution. Man, this, is, this game is so old. Holy crap. That's the this game. Is, it's this just is a the long walkthrough. Of text. That's the walkthrough. Yeah. Wait, is, this, is this a pen and paper game? So, so then, so then you can tell like this was conversational because you could say you know, get key and like. Well, they, that was how they were originally were. Like you'd have to give a Lord specific Cole with hand. what? Yeah. Anyway, all right. I give up. Ghosts and goblins. No chat. Let's <laughs> not go. Well, it was goblins. on the Commodore sixty four. Hey, That's how true. do you know it wasn't, Alan? Ghosts and goblins on the Commodore sixty four in my okay. opinion, was even better than the Nintendo version. Mm. And Montezuma's Revenge was even oh. better on the Commodore 64 than it was on the Nintendo version. It was almost unplayable on Nintendo compared to Commodore. Anyway. And don't get us started on the Amiga. Yeah, actually, I didn't have an Amiga, but I knew plenty of fanboys. Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's wrap it up. I'm Alan on the tunnels. I'm Jeremy Helster. I'm Joshua Walrath. I'm Sebastian Peake. Sorry for opening up that can of worms about text-based games. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll be back next week, hopefully with Ryan. Goodbye. Watch out for Grooves. If you enjoyed this content, consider supporting in-depth technical content by contributing at patreon.com slash pcper.